Hey everyone, welcome to the Goodbye Privacy Podcast. I am your host, James Azar. Follow me on Twitter, James underscore Azar1 to get all the latest, greatest asked questions and just be part of my community. On today's episode, taking over what's been happening in the headlines for the last 24 hours, Facebook's goal to control speech on its platform and pretty much invade our privacy. But before we start, let's talk about patreon.com forward slash cyberhubengage, where you can support this very podcast right here and help us grow our content. By being a loyal Cyberhub Engage follower and following this very podcast means that you care about your security and privacy and you're putting money behind the caring. This is why we're asking you, our loyal listeners, to support us and you get some really cool stuff in return as well. You get to watch this very podcast that I'm recording now live, ask questions that Micah takes down while we're recording, and then we do an exclusive uh, Q&A session after I finish uh, recording the episode. You also get some pretty cool swag, so go to patreon.com forward slash cyberhubengage. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash cyberhubengage, patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash cyberhubengage engage and you have my eternal thanks for your support. Now let's get to today's episode. So in the first ever episode of Goodbye Privacy, if you this is the first episode you're uh, watching or listening to, make sure you go back and start at episode one, Terms and Conditions Exposed. I went over and reviewed Facebook and Instagram's terms and conditions. Facebook has three and a half billion users across the world. That's about 40% of the world's population. And that's pretty much the adult male population of the world. When you take away seniors and children, you've pretty much nailed that Facebook has information on pretty much every adult um, in the world. But yesterday, Facebook came out with an announcement essentially banning far right and far left hate speech from their network and their social media platform, starting with uh, conspiracy theorist Alex Jones to the anti-Semite Louis Farrakhan. While some bans are different than others, meaning in Alex Jones's case, no content about him can be posted anywhere on Facebook or Instagram or any social media platform that's owned by Facebook, the Louis Farrakhan ban is slightly lighter. It seems like they've decided to hand out punishments based on what they feel like is appropriate, um, giving a heavy hand to Alex Jones. But to the anti-Semitic Louis Farrakhan, they're kind of like, you know, you can't have a page, but if other people want to create stuff and share some of your stuff, that might be okay. We'll have to review it on a case-by-case basis. Which got me thinking for this very episode, who makes these decisions? My argument from the very beginning of this idea that Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg somehow need to police Facebook and its, and its groups of social media companies is absolutely absurd. I can't recall any time in history that we've allowed a company to self-regulate something like this and the company that we did let that do, actually self-regulate itself, actually did it right. Fact is, this is all a bunch of nonsense. Facebook has become not only the social media network where we interact, plan, and share with our friends, but today it's also the news hub for people all over the globe, a job source, and so much more. 
Facebook has evolved and various people are using Facebook for activity that wouldn't be tolerated anywhere else. Since the election of President Trump and the term fake news, one of the many tools Russia used to spread mis misinformation was within Facebook, creating different pages, bots, trolls, uh, putting out all these different articles about Hillary Clinton and the Democrats or Donald Trump or whoever. Fact is, though, that Facebook has outgrown its usage by any stretch of anyone's imagination for where Facebook was 15 or 20 years ago when it started as a place where we can share pictures, listen to music, and plan things with our friends. Facebook has now become a daily part of people's lives, meaning some people, when they wake up, the first thing they do every morning is check their Facebook page. Now, if you remember back in the day, the first thing any person did when he got up in the morning was kiss his wife and kids, say good morning, put on his robe, go out to the curb, grab the paper, which reported the news, sat down, ate breakfast, read the paper, got in his car, and drove to work. Today, that whole process of getting the news has changed, mostly thanks to social networks like Facebook, Twitter's, Twitter, and others. So if Facebook's whole social media network of Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp have three and a half billion monthly users, which is 40% of the world's population, how do they police that and how do we trust them to police three and a half billion people? China and India are proving that trying to govern 1.3 billion people is a tough task. Fact is that in those countries, the uh, poor population is really not taken care of. People live in poverty and they live very much misinformed. So how does Facebook, a company started by a 20-year-old kid out of Stanford, and some odd years later, and Mark Zuckerberg's in his late 30s, I believe at this point, maybe early 40s, how can we expect that Mark Zuckerberg and his team of people at Facebook to police an entire social media network that has three and a half billion people on there spreading information at any given moment. Here's the challenge that's facing Facebook and facing our privacy. And I'm gonna start off with this. One, in some countries Facebook operate in some countries that Facebook actually operates in, they are legally required to give the government a backdoor to Facebook without any warrants or probable cause. Meaning that Facebook is being used as a spying platform for some governments in the world on their very own citizens or anyone visiting there. Meaning, once you travel to one of those countries, chances are that once you log into your Facebook account in that country, you're under new terms and conditions within that specific country and you operate under the laws of that specific country. And so you're giving the host nation that you're visiting complete and absolute access to your Facebook account should they want it. There's no need for them to get a warrant and there's no need for them to even ask you for permission to do so. If you have a Facebook account and you went to Russia, chances are the Russian intelligence service is going through your Facebook page through the back door. And Russia also has a social media platform called Vkontakti, which was a similar platform to Facebook that was started in Russia for Russian speakers, essentially a predominantly Russian-dominated social media network, very, very similar to Facebook and UI and UX and so forth, very copy-coded, uh, but more uh, the, that 
the contact he has given the Russian government essentially complete access to anything that goes on there. It's essentially a way for uh, the government to spy and make sure that they can address problematic people at the point of them starting to spread the message rather than when things fester. Now let that settle in for a moment with the fact that Facebook actually has these deals in many of the countries that operate in in Southeast Asia and the Middle East. Facebook, as part of its growth strategy early on, acquired Instagram and WhatsApp because it recognized the potential. Having all three, Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp, like I said earlier, they have three and a half billion people on these networks. And they have so much data and they process so much data that they actually sell and share with various data and marketing agencies in order to make money. But we're going to talk more about that in an upcoming episode that's all about data brokers and how, that's a, how that whole market works. But this means that our data is being processed and that Facebook's vetting process for this is ludicrous. And we'll show you that in the episode of how easy it is to actually get access to Facebook's marketing API and start analyzing and dissecting data from within Facebook. Fact is that this is one of the ways Russia was able to curate content specifically to different regions of the country sowing seeds within a specific part of the population by essentially analyzing that data on Facebook. Three, since its inception, people have misused Facebook. ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and neo-Nazis were using this platform freely since its inception. They were distributing content, recruiting people to join them. Uh, that's well known. ISIS has used Facebook as a recruiting uh, platform uh, for a lot of its content and raised money using Facebook as well um, without really any interference from Facebook on that. Now one could argue that while Facebook may have wanted to act, they may have been discouraged to do so by the intelligence agencies around the world saying, hey, we'd rather be able to trace them on Facebook than have them go somewhere else. But that just lets you know, where, where is that line drawn? Is that line do, do we draw the line at the bad guys that are, you know, the neo-Nazis, ISIS, and Al-Qaeda? When does a privacy advocacy group become a public enemy? More on that in a little bit. One could argue that we would rather see them active there than anywhere else. But the big names that Facebook announced that it was banning, the Louis Farrakhan, the Alex Jones, the Milo, whatever his name is, uh, they're banning these guys and it seems more like a PR spin than an actual policy. And I'm going to explain why I think that in just a few moments. But fact is, Facebook has banned these people, but Twitter, Google, YouTube, haven't followed suit. So while Louis Farrakhan isn't on Facebook anymore, he's still on YouTube, he's still on Twitter. Same thing with Alex Jones. I think Alex Jones is banned from Twitter, but he's still on YouTube. So fact of the matter is, while Facebook is trying to police itself on hate speech, really what they should be focusing on is some of the fake news that's on there and some of the bots and some of the other things that are going on on Facebook that are far more dangerous, including how the New Zealand shooter streamed his entire massacre driven of killing over 50 people in mosques in New Zealand 
without even someone picking up on the fact that this was a live feed of um, unproportioned. I mean, that's the biggest gaffe in Facebook history. Hands down, bar none, you can argue the 2016 election and everything that went on on Facebook and all the bots, but allowing a mass murderer who will not be named on my show, who walked into a mosque and slaughtered and murdered women, men, and children while they were praying is beyond reprehensible. And that's why I think this latest move by Facebook is a pure PR move to try and gain some sort of credibility. And it's not really about us users because where are we going to go? Our lives have been on Facebook for 10 to 15 years. Breaking up with Facebook is like getting a divorce. You say you want to do it. You say you want to get a divorce. You may talk to a divorce lawyer, but then you come home you look at your wife or husband, you say, let's give it one more chance. And we keep going in that endless cycle of being unable to leave Facebook. That's why this recent move right now that Facebook did, I call bullshit. And my final point is, Facebook is a for-profit organization that has a duty to its shareholders before anyone else. And so asking them to police themselves is like giving your kid a loaded gun and hoping nothing bad happens or that he won't point it at someone and set it off. That's going to happen. And we will witness employees within Facebook defining things that really don't meet the new policy Facebook has set therein. And the argument for this is this. Facebook has people that work there. The people that work there that police this policy, that decide which content is good content and which content we should ban, have opinions, they have feelings, they have beliefs on very specific topics and subjects. Could we really expect Facebook employees to set their feelings and their beliefs to the side? and properly evaluate which content is hate speech, offensive, or otherwise. The claim by many people in the right-wing media and in general some of the mainstream media channels is that most of these social networks are based in very liberal parts of the country. San Francisco, Austin, Texas, New York, generally very, very liberal population. Those are the people that work in these social networks. Meaning, could these people who are now being put in charge of censoring this content on Facebook censor conservative opinions in the name of saying that's hate speech? These people that Facebook has aren't voted, they're not appointed, they're Facebook employees, they get paid to do this, and they don't have any accountability. They don't have to answer to anyone but within Facebook. So if I know my boss is ultra-liberal and he doesn't like these specific opinions, chances are every time I ban it, 
And if even someone goes to my boss, my boss is going to back me up. Meaning there's a big challenge here of how is this being policed? And Facebook has been very vague about this this far. They haven't really released the way they do this. How are they doing this? How are they making these decisions? They've come on this PR spin saying Louis Farrakhan, Alex Jones, Milo, and whoever else they've banned are out. They can't be on our platform anymore. Okay, but I get it. Those guys have put out so much bullshit. Alex Jones and his right-wing conspiracy theories about Sandy Hook and the trauma that he caused those people is unforgivable. Louis Farrakhan has been an anti-Semite since the day that he set foot on this planet. He's known to spew hate speech against the Jews. <laughs> but if you get banned, who do you appeal to? What's that process? How do you know what ban is legitimate and what content is or isn't? This is what we're trusting Facebook to do on its own without any oversight. But before we proceed, I want to invite you to join us on September 11th, 2019 in beautiful Atlanta, Georgia for the annual CyberHub Summit. CyberHub Summit is the go-to cybersecurity conference for executives and those passionate about cybersecurity and privacy. This conference isn't another conference with panels and speakers, but rather CyberHub Summit focuses on helping attendees experience cyber different. This year, CyberHub Summit has an amazing agenda of how we can work to address the various cybersecurity challenges on topics like homeland security, fintech, and industrial control systems. All three of these are critical uh, of our national infrastructure, and together we will address ways that we can help to protect these networks um, and the different attack vectors against them. Make sure you go to cyberhubsummit.com forward slash James. Again, that's cyberhubsummit.com forward slash James to pre-register now for this year's summit as it is sure to sell out early. Tickets go on sale May 15th, so be sure to pre-register now so you can get your tickets first at the best rate possible. Again, go to cyberhubsummit.com forward slash James. Now let's get back to this. So given the fact that 40% of the world's population uses Facebook, can they be trusted to ensure that hate speech and, ex and extremist speech is taken off and taken off fairly? And I'm going to go back to the premise that whenever I debate this point with anyone, it comes back to our First Amendment right for freedom of speech. But is this argument valid on social media? Is it valid at all? Is freedom of speech being able to spew out hate speech with no repercussions? Or to spew out violence? Or encouraging people to be violent towards a specific set of population anywhere, whether it be anti-Semitism or Islamophobia or Nazi rhetoric? Does the First Amendment really cover that? And that's a discussion that our country hasn't done and hasn't had in a very, very long time. Now, we look at our Constitution, 
and we go to our First Amendment and our Second Amendment and our Third and our Fourth and our Fifth, and we, I think most of the adult population in this country couldn't recite the amendments or what they really mean because we don't really care. We're going about our lives. But yet we use that in this argument right here. I've got freedom of speech. I'm entitled to say or do whatever I want. Okay. I'm going to read the First Amendment to you right now. And I want to show you why the First Amendment isn't the argument to be had for what's going on on Facebook and social media at the moment. And on some of the newspapers like the New York Times, which has become a junk paper, or the Washington Post, which has essentially become a mouthpiece to the people who work there. Here's the deal. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of people to peacefully assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. That is our First Amendment. When our forefathers sat down and wrote the Declaration of Independence and they wrote this piece in here. The First Amendment was intended, and this is intent, folks. So if, if you watch my other podcast, Cyber Have Engaged Podcast, just did an episode with David Myman where one of our discussions was hacker's intent. And you can go now to cyberhubengage.com or go to our YouTube page or Facebook page and you can watch the full episode where we talk about how do you prove intent in cybercrime. Because there's plenty of ways to get out of it. I'm not going to give you any of the details. You're going to have to go and watch. But here's the deal here. What was the intent of our forefathers when they wrote the First Amendment? And I'm going to try to break it down here slightly. The freedom of speech means that the government can't establish or pass any law that prohibits our right to express ourselves or express discontent with the government, specifically meaning expressing ourselves to the government. This country was established against the tyranny of kings and rulers who would jail anyone who dared to disagree with them. This country was founded on the principle that the people don't serve the government, but the government serves the people. That's what the First Amendment is all about. That the people elect a government to serve the people. Folks, our government hasn't really served the people in a very long time. Number two. No law shall restrict the freedom of the press in their reporting. This is the case that some news media make and even Alex Jones can claim in court. If Alex Jones and Infowars consider themselves to be a news organization, then they could argue that Facebook is violating their First Amendment right for freedom of speech. Now, I'm going to get to the counter argument of that here in just a minute. But freedom of press is important to hold the government accountable. But the press reporting the right facts is also important 
as part of the First Amendment right. When you're reporting opinions, you're no longer reporting the news. You're expressing your opinion, which, based on how some people read the First Amendment, will say you're entitled to do. This is where the disagreement lies. In the 1700s, our nation was very, very small. And for the most part, people had community and knew one another, meaning they had to get along. The fact is that even if you wanted to express yourself in a way that some of us express ourselves online today, you really wouldn't do it because the matter of the fact is that whoever you say that to, whoever you are rude to, you would still have to see for the rest of your natural life because people live with each other and they had community. So the expression of oneself was the expression of one's opinion and having debate. The internet has changed that. People create fake identities, troll, bully, and spread hate speech all over. That is not expression of one's self. That is not what our forefathers meant for our nation. And if they were to rise from their graves today and look at our society today, they would be troubled deeply. Finally, the people have the right to protest and assemble. And the key word here and in the First Amendment is peacefully, folks. Peacefully assemble. Like Martin Luther King did. Peacefully do so. Not what went on in Charlottesville a few years back. Not what's going on in some places around the country where people are going and assembling against something and burning down stores and looting. You're not exercising your First Amendment right by doing so. You are behaving like a terror organization. You are behaving in a manner that the First Amendment does not back up. And sooner or later, the government's going to have to put its foot down and enforce this peacefully protest. We're seeing that now in Venezuela where people are out in the streets protesting the evil regime of Maduro and getting run over by tanks and armored cars in the streets of Caracas in Venezuela. They're peacefully marching. They're being violently taken down. The argument of First Amendment has many different challenges because I don't think anyone has read the First Amendment in a long time and try to break it down for what it really means and how do we analyze it in today's society? What does it mean for one to express oneself? Does it mean that you can spew violence and hate speech against a specific type of population? After all, wasn't that what the Civil War was all about? Giving all men and all women equal rights in our country? The United States of America is the most diverse country on the planet. Yet here we are banning people off of social media, not legally, but by a for-profit organization that's doing a PR spin and limiting it. And we're going to get to that right now. Facebook as a social media network and Alex Jones and Infowars for some of its million uh, millions of followers isn't entertainment, but their view on reality, and for some of them, is considered news. Alex Jones 
could probably sue Facebook for the ban and could probably win. And that this case would go to the Supreme Court. This would be the Roe versus Wade of our generation. It could very much have the same implication of what is okay and what isn't okay. The question is, do we want the Supreme Court to rule on this or do we want to arbitrarily handle this on our own? We'll get to that in just a moment. Louis Farrakhan could probably do the same. Louis Farrakhan leads a religion called the Nation of Islam in the U.S. The question is, can a private corporation limit a religion and its preacher from distributing his content online. After all, one of the first sentences in the First Amendment talks about religion and that the government has no right to restrict a religion from forming in the U.S. or abating or disrupting a religion. Freedom of religion is very important in our country. And for over 200 years, it's been respected as so. Again, this is something I feel like if this was the argument made in court by Louis Farrakhan's lawyers, there's a very good chance they would win and Louis Farrakhan would be allowed back on Facebook. So while Facebook can claim that we write policies and rules, and this is the counter argument now, folks, for people to use our platform, and if they violate these rules and policies that they agree to when they register that no one reads, go back to episode one, I've been over this, no one ever reads terms and conditions. No one ever reads their privacy policy. They make you check a box that's no different than you signing a contract and you've agreed to do so. So can Facebook claim that? Well, the answer to this is no. And I'll, I'll explain why. So one of the biggest cases that have been in front of the Supreme Court was the case in Colorado where a Colorado baker refused to bake a cake for a gay couple. And the baker lost in every court until he reached to the Supreme Court where the Supreme Court upheld his right to not bake a cake to the gay couple because it hindered with his religious beliefs. Now the same argument could be made for Facebook. Facebook is a private organization and as such it has the right to refuse to give service to anyone that violates its terms and conditions. It is a private business and its platform is like its property and it can, like if you go to a subway and the subway manager doesn't want you in there and he says leave and you refuse to leave, you can call the police and have you taken off property, that's his right to do so. Facebook could argue the same exact thing. They can say our platform is our private property, we give you permission to use it, you've violated our terms and conditions and as such you don't belong on our platform. Okay, but what happens when the Colorado baker that wouldn't bake it for the gay couple bakes a cake for the lesbian couple? How would that play out in court? That would be discrimination. What's the difference between a gay or a lesbian couple? Nothing. The fact that these are two men and the fact that these are two women, but based on your religious beliefs, it would be the same exact thing. And that's violating federal law. This is where I have trouble with Facebook. Facebook claims to employ algorithms that customize our newsfeed with the things we want to see and hear more from. Meaning, as I've stated before in 
some of the previous episodes, if you're looking to form an informed opinion on a topic or subject matter, chances are that on Facebook, you're going to be unable to do so. Because as you start to look at different pages and you start to look at different arguments, Facebook is going to start providing you more content that you're spending more time looking at, liking, sharing, saving. That's the content that Facebook is going to give you. And if you don't believe me, I challenge you to do the following. Open a new Facebook account. Go into your Facebook account and start liking a bunch of different pages. But here's what I want you to do. Like a split of different pages, but time yourself as you're you know, reading the New York Times to reading The Blaze. And spend more time clicking on more links in The New York Times. Slowly but surely, you'll, reala you'll realize that The Blaze posts are disappearing from your timeline. And the New York Times post and stuff that's similar to it is going to start appearing with content that Facebook thinks you want more of. And as you search Facebook, you'll be unable to find the content that you're really looking for. So as you're trying to do more research on Facebook, you could really end up getting one side of the story more than the other, getting more opinions about one side of the story or one topic rather than all sides, thus giving you an opportunity to make a misinformed decision on a topic. More so, it radicalizes you with time because the newsfeed is going to keep feeding you that information unless you ask not to see it. So Facebook is constantly going to push things to you and if you don't do anything about it, it's just going to keep pushing it because it's going to think you like it. And that's the scary thought here, folks. So while you've banned all these people, and you may have banned Alex Jones, you can't ban Alex Smith from coming up with the same ideas as Alex Jones and putting it up there. And how are you going to ban him? And you ask yourself, how did our nation become so divisive, so hardened in its positions, so radical on one side or the other. And that goes back to how we're getting our news today. These algorithms that are supposed to make our experiences on these social networks so much better aren't doing that. What they're doing is they're hardening our position on topics. They're only feeding us one side of the coin and not all of it. We're getting more opinions than facts. I can't even watch cable TV anymore. Canceled my cable TV. Because no matter what channel I watch, I'm getting opinions, not facts. They're bringing these so-called experts to talk about topics. That's not what makes news. That's not what our First Amendment right covers. That's not press, folks. That's opinion columns. And almost every news source today is just one large opinion column. And you go to the one that supports what you feel like the most. And that's where the challenge with Facebook lies. 
That's Facebook's ultimate test of survival. That's social media, not just Facebook, but Twitter, LinkedIn, Google. This is their challenge. This is the challenge of our generation when it comes to privacy, when it comes to information, when it comes to misinformation, when it comes to how our data is being used and analyzed and how they're curtailing different messages to us. One of the tricks that the Russians used in 2016 against the Democrats on Facebook was targeting folks that were on food stamps and spreading misinformation about why they're on food stamps and how capitalism doesn't work and how socialism might be better for them and how people in different parts of the world are happier under a socialist regime than a capitalist regime and that this is all the fault of the rich. And if you're getting enough of that misinformation and that's all you're seeing, you're going to believe it. And this, folks, is the challenge of our generation, not just for ourselves, but our children. These algorithms, the way they're dividing and the way they're banning content online can't be so one-sided to the one way or the other. We must allow people to get two sides of the coin. It is irresponsible any other way. So what's the solution? I have an idea. Now, I'm not optimistic about my first one. I'm a bit more optimistic about my second one, and you'll find out why here in just a second. Congress and Senate love the PR of bringing Mark Zuckerberg to the Hill, question him where they look like morons because they just don't know what Facebook does, and then Mark Zuckerberg just makes the ultimate memes. But if our lawmakers can't sit down and work out a way to establish some sort of oversight over the social media. Now, mind you, in radio and on TV, there's oversight. You can't say the word fudge on TV. You can say it on HBO, <laughs> but you can't say it on cable TV because there's oversight and you'll be fined for doing so. The time has come in DC for people to wake up and smell the roses. This generation isn't watching TV. They're not watching local TV. They're on social media. The time has come to set some sort of oversight on social media, to hold these networks accountable, to set a standard that says these things can't be allowed. And if they're allowed, Facebook, you're fine. If they're allowed, LinkedIn, you're fine. If they're allowed, Instagram, you're fine. If they're allowed, Twitter, you are fine. When Janet Jackson popped a nipple on the Super Bowl, the world flipped out. Well, the world, I say America, and part of the world is used to seeing nipples on TV. You go to Italy or Spain or other places, they have half-naked girls on TV. You go to a beach in Bulgaria, Romania, or Greece, women are walking around topless. There's nothing wrong with nipples. 
But in America, we saw the nipple of Janet Jackson in the halftime show at the Super Bowl, and we flipped. And CBS was fined, and Janet Jackson was fined, and she became public enemy number one, and Justin Timberlake became, oh, poor guy, he showed her nipple to everyone. He didn't know. <laughs> we need to wake up, folks. We need to start holding our elected officials accountable to change oversight on these social medias. Because I don't believe that letting Facebook police itself or Google or Microsoft or Twitter is going to do any good to anyone. The fact of the matter is, I think all it's going to do is create a ton of legal challenges and make this mess, which is already messy, messier. And we're in for a rocky ride. Because based on the elected officials we have in Congress and in the Senate now, they seem more obsessed about bad-mouthing one, one another and trying to make each other look bad than coming to work together to solve these very challenges that threaten our society. Whether it be social media and our privacy, which they're not really addressing, to the cybersecurity of our nation, to our healthcare system. We're going to talk about healthcare and privacy in one of our next episodes. Now, nothing that Facebook or any of these social networks will do will seem fair to anyone, right? If they ban Alex Jones, the right will come up, oh, here you go, you're banning extreme right wing, but you're not banning the liberal left. And then the left comes and says, how are you taking Louis Farrakhan off? I mean, yeah, he's an anti-Semite, but come on, he's not that bad. We've got people in Congress that are blatantly anti-Semites. It's a challenge we have as a nation. So we need oversight. And here's my challenge to Facebook, Twitter, Google, and others. Set up your own Supreme Court. Pick nine, 11, an odd number amount of people. Have them serve in a role of determining which content should or shouldn't be on social media. I'm not saying this idea is good. It has a lot of holes in it. But at least I'm trying to come up with something. Find a way to create a open to the public discussion and manner by which you show how you judge content. Don't let it be an employee that has an opinion. Let's get the right people in the right place and let's create a citizen oversight on social media. People who vote for it. People who are able to judge it from a moral standpoint, not a opinion standpoint. Will this content, will this page, will this person trigger a kind of reaction that would lead someone to go into a mosque and shoot 50 people during a prayer? Or walk into a synagogue on the last day of Passover and shoot the rabbi's fingers off, kill a 60-year-old woman and wound two others, including a little child? 
or let multiple suicide bombers walk into churches in Sri Lanka and kill over 350 people and injure thousands of others, leaving people stranded in Sri Lanka while the government hunts down the perpetrators of it. These are the extreme cases. Alex Jones, Louis Farrakhan, they're just the headline. They're just the PR spin for Facebook to say we are doing something. But how? It's not about doing something. It's how you're doing it. It's always about the how. How are you doing it? We want to know. We're entitled to know. We use your platform. We are your customers. You make money because we are on your platform. If Facebook had zero users on its platform, it would cease to exist. We are the customer and they are providing us a service and they make money for this service by selling our information to organizations to sell us stuff on their platform. We are entitled to know how you decide which information we should see and not see. And mind you, there are social networks out there that are exclusively dedicated to some of the most hateful speech out there. And I won't mention them because they don't deserve to get any free advertising. But there are neo-Nazi social networks and far anti-Semitic uh, and, and, anti and Islamophobic and so many others. Those networks do exist, but they don't have the same exposure that Facebook, Twitter, and Google have. And they need to be held accountable, but they also need oversight. We can't expect them to police themselves and be fair. I'd love to get your feedback on this topic. I think this is a very, very important topic. I think this is the topic for our generation. For this topic only, I'm going to open our mailbag at cyberhubengage.com or on Twitter at James underscore Azar1 or tweet at cyberhubengage and let me know what you think. I'm going to do an exclusive mailback on this next week where we can debate some of your opinions on how do we address this and what are the ideas we can come up with. I welcome you to let me know what you think on this very topic. Agree or disagree, I'm very much open to public debate. Again, you can tweet at me, James underscore Azar1. Let me know what you think of this very topic in this very episode. How do we solve it? That's it for today's episode. Next time on Goodbye Privacy, the EU Biometric Database. What's up with privacy in Europe after GDPR? Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. My name is James Azar. I'm your host. Thanks for listening to the Goodbye Privacy Podcast.